more advice. That's what you're asking for. That's what we've been receiving in terms of messages, in terms of guidance, instructions from the audience. You can contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. And you all are telling me, we want more advice. Give us advice. Tell us what to do. Fine. You want advice? You want more advice? Fine. I have, I have more advice. Here's some advice. Go pick up Josh Robinson. That's some advice. You might want to pick up the backup running back on the team that runs the most plays in the NFL and scores the most points. You might want to do that. You might. It might, might be a good idea. If Frank Gore gets hurt, Josh Robinson could very well be the workhorse back for the Indianapolis Colts, getting the majority of their red zone touches between the tackles touches. He's not a bad receiver either. He's not a great receiver, but could also operate in the passing game. You would love to have Josh Robinson. Think about it. Think about it for a moment. If you found out that Frank Gore was going to be out for six to eight weeks, how badly would you want to pick up Josh Robinson? Of all the running backs, of all the backup running backs in the league, how badly would you want Josh Robinson over almost any other running back? If you think about a hypothetical, Frank Gore goes down. I can see DeMarco Murray going down. You definitely want Ryan Matthews, but still probably some sort of carry distribution between Ryan Matthews and Darren Sproles. I can see you wanting James Starks. That makes sense. If Eddie Lacy were to go down. I mean, there's a handful of examples, but you, you can count them on your hand. It's not that many. And then in week one, what happened? Frank Gore left the game with cramps? Cramps? What is he, LeBron James? They're not playing basketball. They're not playing tennis. They're not running track. They're playing football. There's a minute between every play. It's a quick burst of energy, of activity, and then you take a break. Quick burst, take a break. Quick burst, take a break. And then when you turn over the possession, you take a break for 15, 20 minutes. How are you getting dehydrated? You're playing a dome. Why are you getting cramps? This doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Think critically. What happens to your connective tissue and your muscle fibers when you get to 32, 33, 34 years old? Oh, that's right. It's not as elastic. It strains more easily. How many times has a strained calf been originally reported as cramps? And then later on you learn, oh, wow, okay. So they reported it as a cramp. They thought it was a cramp, but once the cramping subsides, he goes in for an MRI. <gasps> now, Frank Gore hasn't gone in for an MRI yet, but this often happens. The player cramps up, then all of a sudden he's going in for an MRI. Next thing you know, oh, it was a muscle strain as well. Ooh. And I, I hope, now Sports Injury Predictor, they've been on a roll. Week one, they're running back with the highest probability of being hurt and missing a game with injury. Andre Ellington, 90%. He's out with a torn PCL or a strained PCL, I should say. Goodbye, Andre Ellington. Hello, Sports Injury Predictor. Jake Davidow, guy had on, I had on the Football Die Hard show. He's having a, he's having a, having a good year. A good year, quote unquote. It's, it's weird to say it, right? Players get hurt. That's a good thing in the injury prognostication business it kind of is it's just a weird morbid thought but yeah in a weird way it is but he has sportsinjurypredictor.com they have frank gore at a seven percent chance of missing a game with injury and i have a side bet with jake david out if frank gore misses a game with injury this year i get to tweet anything from his account and vice versa frank gore is healthy for all 16 games plays all 16 games he gets to take over my twitter account and already, Frank Gore's cramping up. Already, he's missing time during the game. Uh-oh. Uh, I think I might be trending right on that. Yes, congratulations on Andre Ellington. Again, congrats. It's just a weird thing. This morbid fascination. 
the injury is a positive thing. It's just a weird... I can't even say it without cringing. It's cringeworthy. But predicting injuries and measuring durability is an important aspect of, of measuring the floor on fantasy players. So we have to do it. It's morbid, but it's something that has to be done. And I really, 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 really want to prove Jake David out wrong on Frank Gore. I really do. And so maybe it's fantasy wanting. Maybe it's just my desire to win this bet, but I'm going out and I'm picking up Josh Robinson wherever I can. Here's another indicator. The Colts called up Zerlin Tipton from the practice squad. Now they have four running backs on the active roster. Tipton, Robinson, Gore, Varga. Uh-oh. A lot of teams don't carry four running backs. They carry three. Especially if you have Frank Gore, one of the most durable running backs in the NFL with a 7% chance of missing a game with injury, according to sportsinjurypredictor.com. Why would you carry four running backs? Does Zerlon Tipton play special teams? Maybe. I guess. But so does Tyler Varga. I don't understand it. Hmm. I wonder if they know something we don't about Frank Gore. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder. Hmm. So yesterday, I started talking about Brian Quick. I started talking about Sammy Watkins. And I mentioned that while, generally speaking, week one is a feel-good week, there were a handful of receivers that I had just a, a twinge of concern about. Brian Quick was one of them. The fact that he didn't play at all, the fact that they're slow playing his recovery from the shoulder surgery to such an extent is a concern to me. He wasn't on the injury report. Is Stedman Bailey the new number one receiver for the St. Louis Rams? I won't believe that it's Tabon Austin. You can't, there's no, there's no evidence, there's no data you could present to me and convince me that Tavon Austin is the number one receiver. And Stedman Bailey received a significant higher target share in week one than Kenny Britt. So it looks like Stedman Bailey might be trending toward being the number one receiver for the St. Louis Rams. More advice. Yes, granted, in a low volume offense, a low efficiency offense, you're not necessarily excited about picking up the number two or the number three receiver. It's not a player you're typically going to play on an every week basis, maybe ever. But the number one receiver on even a, an inefficient offense is a player you generally want to roster on the off chance that he's actually really good. And when you look at Stedman Bailey's college dominator rating, over 40% at West Virginia, over 90th percentile, his profile looks a lot like Antonio Brown's. And so for that reason, I am also rostering, just like I'm rostering Josh Robinson and stashing him wherever I can, I'm also rostering Stedman Bailey, as well as Brian Quick. I can't drop Brian Quick either because maybe they just gave him one extra week to make sure the shoulder was 100%, and then you never know. In week two, he could go out and log a 100% snap share and be their number one wide receiver again, just like he was last year for the first seven weeks. We don't know what's going to happen with Brian Quick yet. So you have to hold Brian Quick, and in the meantime... Stash Stedman Bailey. So that's more advice. Just more. Just boom. Advice. Boom, boom, boom. Advice. Pa, 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 pa. Advice. Pa, 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 pa. This is advice day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Advice gasm. Ping, pa, ping, 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 pow. Pa, pow, pow. Advice. Just a smorgasbord. This is a buffet. Oh, receiver. Nom, 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 nom. Oh, running backs. Nom, nom, nom. Stash them. Yeah. So I'm not trading for Sammy Watkins. I'm not buying low on Sammy Watkins. I'm not. I'm staying away. Because I don't know how that receiver situation is going to shake out. That receiving core is going to shake out. Is Percy Harvin the new number one receiver for the Bills? We don't know yet. And because I don't know, I am not going to get cute and try to buy low on Sammy Watkins. I'm also not going to try to buy low on Allen Robinson. I own Allen Robinson in a number of dynasty leagues because his profile looks a lot like Des Bryant. 
we've talked about this in previous shows. When you look at Allen Robinson's college dominator rating, his breakout age, his yards per reception at the college level, his workout metrics, and you combine that with his stature, 6'2", 220, I mean, he, he looks like a carbon copy, a facsimile of Des Bryant. And so for that reason, regardless of who his quarterback was in Dynasty, I targeted him. But in redraft, no. And right now, in all leagues, across all formats, I have Allen Robinson in a holding pattern because Blake Bortles has already started melting down. He's already started lashing out. He lashed out to the media. He saw on social media that fans were criticizing the play calling. Instead of criticizing him, which they should have been, instead the fans were directing their ire at the coach, misdirected, should have been directed at the player. The player is responsible for the performance on the field, not the coach. The coach is a minor contributor. The player is the major contributor. So the questions should be directed to Blake Bortles. The concerns should be directed at Blake Bortles, not at the coach or the game plan. Regardless, how Blake Bortles responded to these concerns was interesting. That's right. He compared the coaching staff and the players of the Jaguars to college students and that the fans were at a kindergarten level with their understanding of football. And they need to shut up about their criticism of the game plan. Just shut up, kindergartner. That's what he said. After week one, Blake Bortles is already lashing out. Blake Bortles had one of the least efficient quarterback seasons of all time last year. By some measurements, he was the worst quarterback in league history for a full season. Almost a full season. I think he played 14 or 15 games. They gave Chad Henney a game to go out and fail before just... Okay, in goes... Our number three overall pick, Blake Bortles. So I'm not concerned about Blake Bortles. We, we talked about, I, again, this is a theme. How concerned are you after week one? Not very concerned about anybody. Mildly concerned about Quick. Mildly concerned about Watkins. Mildly concerned about Allen Robinson. But only to the point where I'm just holding them. I'm not going out and actively targeting them as a buy low. That's it. Now, I am, though, more concerned about some of the running backs. We talked about this. Of all the positions that you might be more concerned about than others, the running back position would be it. For example, I'm worried about DeMarco Murray because with a handful of running backs, what you saw in terms of the touch breakdown in week one was a concern. You can, you can be actively concerned about what you saw in week one as it relates to the touch distribution and the opportunity share for a handful of running back backfield situations. Because the running back opportunities are much more consistent week to week than wide receivers or tight ends, for example. So when Sammy Watkins posts zero receptions, that could be due to game plan. That could be due to the cornerback matchup. That could be due just to the read progressions. There's a lot that can explain a wide receiver throwing out a clunker. Most wide receivers are more volatile than the average running back. We talked about that in a previous show as well. Wide receiver position, by and large, is a volatile position and is less concern with the clunker weeks. When a running back throws out a clunker week, sometimes it's a concern, sometimes it's not. If he's getting huge volume and it was just an inefficient week because he faced a top defense, it's not that much of a concern. Sometimes, like a Mark Ingram faces a, a top defense, Arizona was second in the league in terms of the most stingy, most stout defense fantasy points allowed to running backs in 2014. Cardinals are a tough run defense. And Mark Ingram couldn't get going. He had less than three yards of carry in week one. Well under 50 yards. 
wasn't productive. No rushing touchdowns. Wasn't productive on the ground. But he made up for it in the air. Caught eight of nine targets for over 90 yards. Posted 20 PPR points despite playing the Cardinals and, and getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage over and over again. He and Kyrie Robinson. But you're not that concerned because of the touches. He had nine targets. He had a well over 10 carries. It's fine. You're not worried. He had over 20 touches. Cool. Whatever. Did he really have over 20 touches? I don't even know. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of making that up. I, I think I've just been busted. I don't want to be busted. I'm worried about the buzzards. I'm so paranoid about the buzzards. I just threw 20 touches out there and I'm not, now I'm having second thoughts. Now I'm doubting myself because I don't think he had 20 touches. He didn't. He didn't. He had, he had 17 touches. My bad. My bad. 17 touches for Mark Ingram. Regardless, he crested 15 touches against a stout run defense. That's what you're hoping for. That's what you're looking for. You know that he's going to grind out yards, find a way to score fantasy points against tough run defenses. And then you know when they face an easier run defense, like when New Orleans is going to face, oh, hello, Tampa Bay this week. Tampa Bay that allowed Bishop Sankey to equal his total number of touchdowns from 2014 to in the first week of the season. So Mark Ingram is going to have an easier job this week playing at home against the Buccaneers. So he might score 20 fantasy points again, but he might do it in a completely different way. Mark Ingram might go out and get 22 carries and roll up over 100 rushing yards and a touchdown and just a handful of catches because of game flow and because of the ways used. Regardless, Mark Ingram is the under-the-radar bell cow in the National Football League. Mark Ingram was used between the tackles as a grinder. He was used in the passing game, nine targets. He was the New Orleans Saints' red zone weapon, the red zone running back. He was also the running back that was in the game in the personnel packages during the two-minute drill. They were playing Mark Ingram in all phases of the game. That's the definition of a bell cow back. It's not the carry breakdown. Just because Mark Ingram got nine carries and Kyrie Robinson got eight carries, that doesn't mean Mark Ingram's not the bell cow. That just means that Kyrie Robinson was in there for a couple drives, compiled eight carries for 19 yards, big deal. When you look at it situationally, Mark Ingram was actually the bell cow. Kyrie Robinson, was, there was no risk that Kyrie Robinson was going to vulture fantasy point scoring opportunities from Mark Ingram. Just like any more than James Starks would vulture opportunities from Eddie Lacy. It's not something you need to worry about. But the box score, the carry count is deceiving. On the flip side, so there's nothing to worry about with Mark Ingram. 20 fantasy points against a stout run defense. Great job. <laughs> Love that. Love that, Mark. It's funny how Mark Ingram was a first-round pick, a, a highly touted prospect. It took him years to finally ascend. Last year, finally, an RB1 in fantasy. So I'm, I'm happy for him. happy for Mark Ingram. And I just happen to own him in a lot of places. I'm playing him in daily this week. Is a good value in all the platforms. I don't think that I don't think FanDuel and DraftKings realize that Mark Ingram is the bell cow, and I don't think they set a salary that, that accounts for the fact he's going to be playing at home against the Buccaneers. We're talking multiple catches, possibly multiple touchdowns, a good chance of going over 100 yards, particularly in the second half if New Orleans has a lead. It's just a lot to like this week about Mark Ingram. There's a lot to like about Mark Ingram. Period. Even once C.J. Spiller gets back. In fact, if I don't own Mark Ingram anywhere, I'm going to wait until the week that C.J. Spiller is scheduled to return. 
That's what I'm going to strike. Again, more advice. Look at this advice. Just spewing out of me. Advice. Just bleh, bleh advice. Bleh advice. Bleh advice. Hey, 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 want some more advice? Hey, start Mark Ingram this week in Daily Fantasy. Yeah. You should go get Mark Ingram in, in all your dynasty leagues and all your redraft leagues. Even start him in Daily. Yeah. Get your Mark Ingram. Yeah. Advice on the Fantasy Football Podcast. Matt Kelly. Oh, yeah. Roto Underworld Radio. Contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. We're here for all your fantasy advice every day. Yeah. 1447. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I'm, I'm a, the slightest bit worried about DeMarco Murray because the touch breakdown was not in his favor. He did not look like the bell cow. They did give Ryan Matthews a red zone carry, which Ryan Matthews promptly punched in for a touchdown. They gave Darren Sproles five plus carries. It's just not, it wasn't a good thing. You look at the touch breakdown and the situational touch breakdown for DeMarco Murray, and I'm just not as confident that he's going to be a top five running back as I was before week one, unfortunately. And that's why with a running back, you can start to come to these conclusions because the week one opportunity share is indicative of what you're going to see moving forward. And you can also get, get a glimpse into what the supporting cast looks like. And we didn't know what Darren Sproles was going to look like. Darren Sproles looks like he's going to be an efficient player this year. So we have a lot of information that we've collected from week one on DeMarco Murray. And despite him scoring two touchdowns, not much of it is favorable, unfortunately. I mean, nine yards against the Falcons. Nine yards against the Falcons. What is that? My biggest concern about DeMarco Murray isn't even the touch breakdown. It isn't even the fact that Darren Sproles looks good and they're giving Ryan Matthews red zone carries. It's that Philadelphia's offensive line may not be any good anymore. We've been working under this assumption that Philadelphia has a top 10 offensive line because it seems like they've had one for a number of years, but they lost Evan Mathis and other players might not be operating at full health or effectiveness anymore. We don't know what's going on. All I know is that DeMarco Murray ran for nine yards against the Falcons. And it would be devastating if it turned out that Philadelphia's offensive line has crumbled since last year and the year before. It did. It, it got worse last year. It was a top five offensive line in 2013. It was a top 10 offensive line in 2014. Now it might be outside the top 15. Again, this was the Falcons. This was the Falcons team that was completely shredded by fantasy running backs in 2014 giving up almost a full touchdown, extra fantasy points to running backs in 2014 than the average run defense. Just abysmal. Yet, DeMarco Murray, nine yards. What? Can I say it again? What? 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 I'm worried. I am. I've admit it. I've admit it. I'm worried. I don't want to admit it, but I am. Oh, man. I was feeling so good. We had Moncrief happening. Oh, ever since Sunday, we hit on so many different players. Tevin Coleman, Travis Kelsey. We'll, we'll get into more of those in a moment. But I was feeling so good. And all it takes is one fly in the ointment. One DeMarco Murray to get me depressed. Back to where I was. Usually, my usual disposition of just cranky and always seeing the glass half empty. Focusing on the mistakes instead of celebrating the victories. Damn it. Damn it. So now we have a buzzard to build on this feeling, this depressing feeling. We have a buzzard right in with a negative remark. This is what I need. This is just what the doctor ordered, a negative remark from a buzzard. 
Here it goes. You said you hated, quote unquote, told you so radio. And now that's all you do is told you so radio. Fail. All caps. Fail. Fail. So a couple things. You're right, buzzard. I do not like Told You So Radio. I'm not a fan of Told You So Radio. I try to rise above the Told You So Radio. Now, back to our regularly scheduled Told You So Radio. I was right about Travis Kelsey last week. I was right about Austin Safarian Jenkins, and I was right about Tyler Eifert. If anyone asked me what tight ends they should target in fantasy drafts, the list was Travis Kelsey, Austin Safarian Jenkins, and Tyler Eifert. All three of those tight ends finished in the top five fantasy tight ends in week one. Thank you very much. I will take a bow. Yes. I mean, no one's going to be righter than that. That's the peak of right, right? I mean, that's the peak of correct. Everything else is downhill. My advice, my calls, my takes on tight ends for 2015 were as right as you could possibly be. It doesn't get any righter than that. So I guess, yeah, it's just all, I'll never do better. I should just give up. We should just turn the show off, delete the show, stop doing a show because it, that's it. That's the top of the mountain. There's no more higher mountains to climb. That's it. What is it? K2. What's the highest mountain now? It's not, it's not Everest. Is it K2? K3? K4? I don't know. Right about John Brown. We're right about Chris Ivory. Joseph Randall. Hello. Darren McFadden looks like he's done. Like we said he was after posting 3.3 yards per carry for three consecutive years. Shocking that when... Darren McFadden received the ball. He sort of plodded forward. And then when Joseph Randall received the ball, he sprung to life and maximized the yardage that he was able to compile. Also, Joseph Randall made a couple nifty catches in that game. If you saw that game, those weren't just dump off passes that he caught. He was running routes. He caught a ball on his hip, running a, a nice a slick out route. And then he did a little out and up, get some extra yards. Joseph Randall's good, folks. We were right about Mark Ingram. Again, we already talked about Mark Ingram, but just to, I want to make sure we, 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 we reaffirm. Right about Mark Ingram. Right about Frank Gore. It wasn't just the cramps. He was just bad. Again, I know they played Buffalo, but even the most staunch Frank Gore advocates have admitted over the course of this week that they are worried, and they should be. Justin Forsett split carries with Buck Allen. That's another situation that I would be worried about when you look at the touch distribution. <sighs> Maybe Justin Forsett isn't the bell cow we thought he was, folks. Why am I saying folks? I've never done the folks thing. There's some shows where there's a crutch, where the show host is always saying folks, this folks, and hey, hey folks, and let me tell you something, folks. I've never said folks, because I think folks implies that you're sort of a backwater individual. I know this audience, even though the buzzards love to say fail and all caps. It's a pretty savvy audience. So I wouldn't imply that, that you're unsophisticated by calling you folks, and I don't know why I'm calling you folks. I don't know how or why I, I defaulted to that, and I'll try to stop. C.J. Anderson's playing tonight. I would be careful. Split the carries down the middle with Ronnie Hillman. But it wasn't just that. It was, again, it was situational. Ronnie Hillman being used in the passing game. C.J. Anderson wasn't being leveraged in all phases the way Mark Ingram was. So that's a concern. That's why you have to leapfrog C.J. Anderson with a couple players. Certainly, Carlos Hyde, we talked about yesterday, he's leapfrogged C.J. Anderson in the rankings. So is Mark Ingram. Now I think Joseph Randall as well. Soon, Tevin Coleman. Jonathan Grimes actually out-touched Alfred Blue in week one. He did. He really did. He did. Check mark. Right again. Carlos Williams scored on a long touchdown. Why? 
because he has an upper 90th percentile speed score and speed score matters. Athleticism matters. Speed matters. Size matters. Athleticism matters. Obviously. Does athleticism matter? Oh, oh, it does. Ruben Randall flamed out even without Victor Cruz on the field. I wonder who saw that coming. Hmm. Now oh, we like Steve Johnson last week. He's pretty good. That boy can play. We talked about this. Daryl Rivas said in an interview, the hardest wide receiver he's ever had to cover was Stevie Johnson. That Stevie Johnson somehow had the Darrell Rivas cheat code and knew when Darrell Rivas was leaning a certain way and he would always break the other way. Stevie Johnson was always a conundrum for Darrell Rivas. And Stevie Johnson posted over 50 yards, over five catches, a touchdown, productive week. Thank you very much. Tony Romo. I think Tony Romo has this advantage. He has this offensive line that might be one of the best offensive lines of all time. So when he's back there, Tony Romo just has more time than other quarterbacks. He can be surgical. Even without Des Bryant now, I think Tony Romo will still be one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league. Last year, Tony Romo on playerprofiler.com had the highest production premium. According to our measurements at Player Profiler, he was the most efficient quarterback in the league. It wasn't Aaron Rodgers, shockingly. The most efficient quarterbacks in the league are Aaron Rodgers and Tony Romo. It's, it's clear. It's those two. And he's picked up where he left off. Who else did well? Alex Smith and Andy Dalton. No way. Both over 20 fantasy points in week one. Shocking. Alex Smith has weapons for the first time in his career. And he went out and scored fantasy points? How did, what? That's shocking. Weapons matter? Your supporting cast matters? What? Get out. You know, Alex Smith has a better deep ball than Peyton Manning now. Better deep ball than Tom Brady even. That's what happens. As quarterbacks, as they age, they start to throw shorter passes. So get out of here with this. Alex Smith has the worst deep ball in the league. He doesn't. Andy Dalton, his weapons are healthy again. Magically, over 20 fantasy points. That was the daily fantasy matchup of the week. Andy Dalton against Oakland. Value, value. Now, I'm not just going to read the box scores to you. I know we did that with the Saints. Not going to do that. Not reading box scores. I could do that. I could go through all those players and go through the box scores and tell you all the fantastic things they did and why I was right, but I'm not going to do that. There are 50,000 fantasy podcasts and bro shows that tediously step through every box score, but that's not what this show is. Oh no, 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 no. What I want to do is now that I've gotten out of my system, all the things I'm right about, we finally did the told you so radio I've always wanted to do that I always told myself I wouldn't do, and I indulged myself with some told you so radio. Now I'm going to talk about the bad calls I made because we made some bad calls. Oh yeah. Headed into week one, we had Jordan Reed outside the top 20. What happened there? I don't know what happened. I have no idea how I missed Jordan Reed. I called in the entire player profiler staff into my office, and I said, how the hell was Jordan Reed ranked outside the top 20? How did we let that happen? That was an oversight. That's inexcusable. We strive for perfection at playerprofiler.com. How can you let Jordan Reed fall outside the top 20? Crickets. No one knows. No one can figure it out. It's a mystery. How we let Jordan Reed slip out of our top 20 in the week one rankings. My bad. I take responsibility for that. I'm the leader of this ship. I'm the captain and I take responsibility. We have people looking into it to try to understand how did that happen? How did we make a mistake? What did we do wrong? Did, were we still factoring in the Niles Paul target share? Were we still factoring in Jordan Reed's efficiency from 2014 with Robert Griffin III instead of Kirk Cousins? Probably. Yeah, we should have looked at the splits and only focused on how Jordan Reed performed with Kirk Cousins. If we had done that, if we'd been a little more sophisticated and had a little more common sense, 
course Jordan Reed's not outside the top 20. That doesn't, it, it defied common sense. Some of the buzzards picked up on it, tweeted us about it, and all I can say is we were wrong. It was an oversight. We messed up, and I'm sorry. We will try to do better. I'll tell you one thing, though. We didn't screw up the Jordan Reed ranking because of anything we read on the internet, any roto blurbs we read in the, in the preseason. That had nothing to do with it because here's what I read about Jordan Reed this offseason. Jordan Reed has cleaned up his diet, banished bread, fried food, sweets, and instead is concentrating on, quote-unquote, just eating real clean. Yeah. He's also focused more on stretching after dealing with a number of soft tissue injuries in his first two seasons. Finally, 100% healthy, fantasy owners are sleeping on the ultra-athletic pass catcher. Reed is currently going undrafted in 12-team leagues. So I agree with that. We all slept on him. So apparently, everybody slept on him. But we weren't sleeping on him because he was eating salad. That's not the reason. We were sleeping on him because in... And I still can't believe we had this data and, and we didn't take action on it. Even in 2014, when he was relatively inefficient, he had a negative 9.6 production premium, 36th in the league, negative 12.0 target premium, 40th in the league, 7.2 yards per target, 45th in the league. So when we looked at Jordan Reed, we thought we saw an inefficient tight end. That's what pushed down his ranking originally. But we didn't adjust it knowing that he was going to receive huge volume. Last year, Jordan Reed's hog rate, targets per snap, 17.9%. Number one in the league. That's Rob Gronkowski territory. That's Gronkian hog rate. And knowing he was healthy, last year he had a Awful hamstring strain in week one against Houston. He missed four games. How often do players miss four regular season games with a hamstring strain? That was one of the most severe hamstring strains anyone experienced last year. I think he actually did it while trying to hurdle someone, which you can imagine trying to hurdle someone. And in mid-hurdle, when you're pushing off, the hamstring goes. It's just devastating. And so I think that's what happened to him last year. In week one, Deshaun Jackson goes out early. So his targets bumped up. He... His spot in the read progression goes up a notch. So for a lot of reasons, he was destined to have a productive week one, and we just missed it. We should have seen it. In week one, he received 36% of Kirk Cousins' pass attempts, and he was number one in the NFL in targets per route run on Pro Football Focus. So I can tell you right now, I'm here to ring the bell on Jordan Reed. Number one, we were wrong. Number two, you should go get him. You need to go get Jordan Reed. And get Pierre Garçon. Absolutely. Do it. Pierre Garçon and Jordan Reed. It's like a flashback to 2013. It's 2013 all over again. In 2013, Jordan Reed had a plus 16.9 production premium. That was 11th in the league. And his target premium, his per target production versus the other receivers on Washington. Jordan Reed plus 33.3%. 7th in the league. So he was top 12 in every efficiency metric on playerprofiler.com. Fantasy points per target, catch rate, everything. Fantastic. It's 2013 all over again for Jordan Reed. And I think that's going to be the case for Pierre Garçon. He didn't receive as many targets as Jordan Reed did last week, but he got more yards. He is going to be that target hog all over again as long as Deshaun Jackson's out. You can imagine Deshaun Jackson's going to be out probably two weeks, if I had to guess. And during that time, Pierre Garçon is going to be a top 24 receiver. He's going to be a WR2 in fantasy. And that might carry over for the rest of the season. He might displace Deshaun Jackson as the number one receiver, the, the primary read in the read progression, or at least a player that Kirk Cousins often checks down to on those drag routes, those flanker drag routes that Pierre Garçon does so well. Robert Griffin had no problem just 
firing it out there to Deshaun Jackson, often inaccurately. Kirk Cousins is a different kind of quarterback. He's much more of a traditional West Coast offense quarterback who is going to take the short pass that's there, who is going to leverage the flanker position, the Jerry Rice position, which is the Pierre Garçon position. So for a couple reasons, I think it's we're flashing back to 2013 in Washington with Jordan Reed and Pierre Garçon. And in Dallas, I would recommend taking a look at Devin Street. Devin Street is interesting. It was announced today that Devin Street will be the number two receiver. I don't know what that means. I don't know where they're going to play him. I don't know if they're going to play Devin Street at flanker or they're going to play Devin Street at split end. I have a feeling because Devin Street is slower than Terrence Williams and Terrence Williams has been playing the exposition right along. I think that Terrence Williams will continue to play the exposition, continue to play that field stretcher position, the X receiver that is running the double moves, running the fly patterns, even though... Terrence Williams dropped a couple of contested catches that he he could that other receivers could have or would have converted on Sunday night football. The bottom line is Terrence Williams was efficient last year just because he wasn't efficient in the game that we saw, the recency bias soaked game we saw Sunday night doesn't mean that Terrence Williams isn't an efficient receiver. He was an efficient receiver. Terrence Williams had a top 5 production premium in 2014 mostly driven by Tony Romo. See, if Tony Romo is number one in production premium, then necessarily his receivers will also have great production premiums. That's how that works. It's a symbiotic relationship. So for that reason, I like Terrence Williams. I like Terrence Williams this week even more than I like Dante Moncrief. Terrence Williams is going to be the number one wide receiver against Philadelphia. My God. Spoiler alert. Terrence Williams is going to be in all my daily fantasy lineups. On DraftKings, Terrence Williams, he's only $4,200. The people at DraftKings, they don't have access to the depth charts. Do they not have access to injury news? The injury news is just getting to DraftKings now. Someone in the headquarters, DraftKings, even though they have 70,000 employees, someone is just now learning that Des Bryant broke his foot. Too late to make Terrence Williams more expensive. Such a value. $4,200. Terrence Williams is trending towards WR1 status. He is, while Des Bryant's out, because Tony Romo was, again, the la- last year, one of the most efficient quarterbacks, and still, this year, is one of the most efficient quarterbacks. The thing I like about Terrence Williams is that the offensive line gives Tony Romo extra time, so Terrence Williams can get open on those double moves, can get deep, and Tony Romo isn't trying to throw it away, isn't having to dump it off because he's about to get sacked. He's just a statue back there. He has all the time in the world. I thought I saw Tony Romo order a sandwich. And it wasn't just, oh, I want the Italian club. He said, oh, no, I want the Italian club, but no tomato. And then I want extra of that hot relish. And then add banana peppers. Do you have black olives? Uh, add, some, uh, add some of that oregano. Do you have that oregano mix? Yeah, easy, easy on the dressing, though. He was taking his time back there. And Terrence Williams will have time. To get open on double moves. That means Terrence Williams will be a volume play and a a big splash play threat this week. And for the foreseeable future. We don't know how long Des Bryant's going to be out. Devin Street will probably play the flanker role if they continue to push Terrence Williams to the far outside and have him running those deep routes as he's been running. And even though I think in three receiver sets, that flanker role is more often a decoy. It's more often a guy that's going to be setting a pick for Cole Beasley. Of course, Jason Witten might lead all the receivers in targets while Des Bryant's out. I think he will. And Lance Dunbar had over five targets last week. 
So Devin Street might be number five on the target totem pole, but we like the receivers that have the great quarterbacks. We want the receivers that are tethered to the efficient passing games. That's what you want to take a chance on. Because then if, if one more receiver gets hurt, Cole Beasley goes out or Terrence Williams goes out, then all of a sudden, if Devin Street is good, and Devin Street showed college dominator rating, 38.7%, 72nd percentile, a 10.27 catch radius, 92nd percentile. Devin Street, as a member of the Cowboys, with Tony Romo as his quarterback, is a player you absolutely have to stash. Thank you.